0: hunger in this nation is astonishing. I think we have gathered 2,300 people in like five days. It's 2,300 people. Seen like 200 people give their lives to Jesus in like living rooms. In a sitcomer, okay? And there's something about the hunger that is happening in South Africa that is phenomenal. And I want to invite you guys, if you're here in the room and you don't have hope for the nation, just stick here a little bit longer. It will rub off, I promise you. We're not running anywhere. We have people from 16 nations. We speak 11 different languages. They're a part of our community. And people move here not because they had no other options. People move to South Africa because God still has a dream for this nation. And we get to participate in it. And a discipline that South Africans need to have is the discipline of the mind to think escape is the answer. Escape is not the answer. You are. Okay? God... Extends his kingdom through people, and you—you you are it. Okay, if you're here, you're it. Touch is on. Okay, like it's it. You're—you're you're the answer. Okay, so um, we last week we kind of started um, talking a little bit about like these different metaphors that reveal the Holy Spirit, and the first one that I started with, that I'm gonna kind of start off with tonight, and you guys need to intercede for me tonight because. I'm about to take on a beast with what I'm going to talk about tonight, and I don't know if I will have enough time to land the ship or the plane, dock the ship, land the plane. Um, But last week we spoke first and foremost that we need to understand that the Holy Spirit, He is a person. He is not a force. He's not an it. He's not a blob. He's not a gift. He is the third person of the Trinity, and If we do not understand that he is not an it he is a he right you can't have a relationship with the it you use its right like this is an it it's a phone it's a thing i use you don't use a person you love them and if we do not set our hearts to know this third person of the trinity called holy spirit what would happen is that we would consistently see him as something to be used for our gain or for ministry success or for life success, or for how to get in front of your business. And we're going to give you a word of knowledge or something to help expand what God wants you to do. And we're setting our hearts to, like, go to say, God, like, far be it from us that we treat as unholy, something that you call holy. Teach us how to see you rightly. Okay, so that was kind of last week, and then we mentioned a few things. And then I've been studying this week, trying to kind of decide um, how to talk about these the next series of metaphors, and I kind of got into a little bit of a conundrum. And the conundrum is I, I, I stumbled onto like three metaphors that has to do with eschatology. And then I was like, I can't skip over these because if I skip over them, you're going to misunderstand a ginormous part about who Holy Spirit is. So eschatology is a fancy theological word that just means things of the end, right? The end of days when God comes back, capital D day in your Bibles makes the capital D Right That great end time when God decides that time as we know it ends and the full consummation of His kingdom comes. And it's, it's very interesting that there is multiple images to do of the Holy Spirit that primarily has to do with His role, pointing towards the end, preserving us for the end, keeping us here until the end comes. It's very interesting, right? And I wanted to skip over it. I felt very strongly I shouldn't. So I'm going to try and talk, explain the kingdom. Okay. I have one hour. I'm going to try to explain the kingdom. What does it mean that it is already not yet? And then these three specific pictures of the Holy Spirit that He is. Um, the down payment the seal, and the first fruit of the age that is to come. Okay? So just as you know where I'm trying to go, some of you might need to, like, put on your thinking caps and just take it, and here's why. Jonathan Edwards, who is named one of the greatest preachers who's ever lived, prayed this prayer. Father, stamp eternity on my eyeballs. And that is a radical prayer. Until you realize that eternity already lives in you. You You're possessed by the age that is to come to some extent. And if we don't see that, what happens is we will live a very present-centered, present-focused life. And then whenever resistance comes we will shrink back because we think that something is wrong instead of going like, hey, this might be resistance. I'm meant to take ground. One side. The other side is when God asks you to go live in a place where there's seemingly no fruit and you only live for what you see temporarily right here, you'll shrink back because let me find somewhere that's easier. and not understanding that there is eternal reward. We live for age to come, not an age that is right now. So, there is two very important sides. the side that we are in a kingdom that is in war. And if you do not see it that way, you will consistently misjudge warfare. The second part of it is, if you do not understand that this kingdom is here, but it's not fully consummated, and we're actually living for age to come, whenever you do things that you do not enjoy, whenever God asks you to obey where you do not see the fruit you will so build your life around temporal things. You guys know what temporal means, right? Okay. That you will not be able to push through this pain for the crown that is rewarded at the end of the age. It's so important we get this, right? Because if you get born again, if you're in this room and you are saved, you said, I believe in my heart, Confesses my mouth that Jesus is Lord, which means you just got adopted into this new kingdom. And all of a sudden, you are not king anymore, unless you're unsaved. Then you can be king of your own life. Okay? God's like, you can pick. I won't pick for you. You pick for yourself. If you want me to be king, you need to treat me as king. If you want to be king, you can ruin your life. The end goal is death. I'm king, the end goal is life. It's normal. right, so that's kind of that you understand the picture. And now we're going to go to the Bible. All right, so we need to understand the number one thing Jesus prayed about, uh, spoke about, preached more than anything else is the kingdom. He spoke about love, I think, four times. Jesus spoke more about hell than he spoke about love. He spoke 10 times more about money than he spoke about love. Right, Jesus had a very, very clear aim. He's saying, I'm coming and I'm bringing the message that the kingdom is here in him and it is yet to come in its fullness. Right? So where would Jesus get kingdom language from? Right? And we're probably going to have Rebecca one day come and teach us about the inter- intertestamental period. I'm just quickly going to scan quickly through Daniel 7. right, And go like, there's Old Testament deep Hebrew thought when Jesus a Jewish man stepped on the scene he was using language that everybody in his environment completely knew what he meant we are the only ones that's confused when we hear kingdom nobody else was confused right that's why they tried to kill him a few times when he says I am it right because they they heard him say I am the fulfillment of all these prophetic words right I am the man that the ancient of days is bringing the nations to The saints will rule with me. The level of offensiveness of this, if you understand what Jesus is saying, is pretty radical. Okay, so I quickly want to, just I'm going to scan through it. Just listen, don't follow. You can if you want to follow. Daniel 7, verse 9. As I looked, thrones were set in place and the Ancient of Days, capital A, capital D, took his seat, His clothing was white as as snow, his hair was white like the wool, his throne was flaming with fire, and his wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming out before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was sealed, and the books were open. Then I continued to watch of the boastful words of the horn that was speaking. I kept looking until the beast was slain and his body destroyed, thrown into the blazing fire. The other beast has been stripped of their authority, but they're allowed to live for a period of time. They're allowed to live for a period of time. In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like the Son of Man coming with clouds of the heavens. He approached the Ancient of Days, and he was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All people and nations and men of every language worshipped him. His dominion was an everlasting dominion that will not pass away and his kingdom was one that will never be destroyed. Okay? So now Jesus comes on the scene. says the kingdom is at hand. Now people are going like, what? What do you mean the kingdom is at hand? And then he goes like, dead people wake up, blind people see, deaf people hear. Just look. All of the works of Satan are bowing to one man. The kingdom, the king's dominion, the king's leadership clearly is manifested in this man. Dead things cannot stay alive around him. Sick things cannot stay sick around him. Right, it just seems that all of the work of the enemy is being opposed by this life that swallows up death. So Jesus then declares, the kingdom is in your midst, it's here. Right? But then he also says, But it has not yet fully come. Now that is deeply confusing. Right? Like, why don't you just stick with one verse, Jesus? Like, help us get it. Right? Like, who's ever thought, Who's ever read that in the Gospels? You're like, what does this mean? Like, you're here, but it's not yet, but, like, it's happened, but it's not fully come. Like, what is happening? Right? And then we see in, in, in Acts 1, his disciples ask him, is this the time that the kingdom will come? And Jesus rebukes him and says, the time is not for you to know. My father has a point in time. Jesus said, I don't even know when it is. Right? And then he teaches them for 40 days about the kingdom. And then he goes into heaven on a cloud. The Son of Man, interesting, was brought before the Father in a cloud. Anyway. Um, And he tells them wait. Wait till something comes. The gift from my Father. And then the day of Pentecost comes. And if you remember when I spoke about Pentecost, what did I say? It's like all of a sudden there is a new people, a new humanity is created. And when they thought the coming of the kingdom meant Jesus violently overthrowing the rule and reign of Rome, the coming of the kingdom meant God took possession of man on the inside. And his leadership started manifesting in the hearts of man. Right? And now if we look at world history... The Holy Spirit's leadership has overthrown way more kingdoms through leading simple people like us than it ever did by waging war like this. Everybody with me? Okay. I'm I'm purposefully, deeply dumbing it down just because this conversation can go very deep. So I want to read us one thing here and then I'm going to go to these points. But you need to understand, Jesus was looking at the Old Testament narrative. He's going like, I am the answer to that promise. And then... Let me add this to it. When Jesus came on the scene, it was like the end has already come. When do you guys all know what D-Day was? Does anybody know what D-Day? Who does not know what D-Day is? So I can just explain it. Okay, D-Day was in um, 1944, the 6th of June. Am I right? 6th of June, 1944. It's when the Allies attacked France. And they landed all these armies so that they can invade Germany and win the Nazis. But it took them another year and a bit before they won the war. But Hitler knew this. Hitler knew if they make a bridgehead, if they land on that beach, he is lost. Because he cannot withhold the weight of all of the world's military. He made Europe like a fortress. And so when Jesus came and he died and he rose from the dead, it was like he created a beachhead. Right? He, he already won, everybody knew he, Germany is done, right? but they have not yet been conquered. So then when Jesus died and rose and he gave his spirit right, to live in us, he made like a beachhead. He has overcome the enemy and we all know that death has been won, right? but the full victory has not yet happened. And the way that the full victory happens throughout the ages is generations of people decide more and more to submit to the king's leadership in the kingdom. And the way that we live our life overcomes sickness. It overcomes death. If you want to be very physical in that, there is more people not dying from diseases than ever has stayed alive. There's more women rights than there's ever been. There is more privilege to most people on earth Like, poverty has decreased in the last 50 years more than the last 2,000 years combined. It is radical what has happened over the last couple of years. Now, there is a side to science in this, but I fully believe it's a side of the kingdom. What does it say? To the increase of his government, there will be no end. Injustice, poverty, sickness, all those things are a sign of of Satan's leadership. And I believe that these are little trickles that we're seeing of God's hand in nations. And he's going like, hey, I am building things through my people. But the reality is this. Not every person we pray for gets healed, do they? So clearly the kingdom is here because some people get healed. But not all of them do. Right? So we know we're still in a war. We have not fully won yet. So we're we're stuck in this in-between age. And it's called the age of the spirit. And it's the age where we're not living according to the law or to the flesh, but now we're living according to the Spirit, and the Spirit points us and is the proof of the age that is to come. Yo It's Okay. It's Okay. So I'm, I'm mentioning all these things because it's so important. If we don't get this, we're going to miss a lot what Paul is saying. Okay, so I'm going to read one thing, and then I'm going to quickly... Use these metaphors, and these metaphors is going to make everything I'm saying make sense um, in Jesus' name. <laughs> the biblical idea of the kingdom of God is deeply rooted in Old Testament and is grounded in the confidence that there is one eternal living God who has revealed himself to men and has a purpose for the human race, which he has chosen to accomplish through Israel. It's important to understand that God chose to start this and accomplish this kingdom through a one man that was his friend who had a family that he blessed who became a nation. And God's like, if you want to know how I treat the nations of the earth, look at how I treated Israel. I am so kind, you cannot believe it. The biblical hope, therefore, is a religious hope. It is an essential element in the revealed will and the redemptive work of the living God. Then came Jesus Christ of Nazareth. With the announcement repent for the kingdom of is at hand Matthew 4:17 this theme of the coming of the kingdom of God was central in his mission his teaching was designed to show men how they might enter the kingdom of God his mighty works were intended to prove that the kingdom had come upon them his parables illustrated to his disciples the truth about the kingdom and when he taught His followers to pray at the heart of his petitions were the word, Your will be done, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. On the eve of his death, he assured his disciples that he would yet share with them the happiness of fellowship in the kingdom, and he promised that he would appear again on the earth in glory to bring the blessedness of the kingdom to those for whom it was prepared. The kingdom was central to what it was about, is that we are not on the losing side. We are on the winning side, right? And if you don't understand this kingdom language, you will always put yourself in a wrong narrative because you'll think you're on the losing side. Guys, we are not losing. I promise you we're not losing. There's 200 souls the last five days who will tell you we're winning. There is 200 destinies that was in the plan of Satan that God, by his goodness, transformed from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of marvelous light. God is not losing. He doesn't play to lose, he plays to win. And the only time that he has not fully consummated his kingdom is because his kindness, according to First Peter, is toward the, towards those who will yet repent. He's withholding wrath so that people can come into the kingdom. Now, the first point we want to go after is the metaphor that has to do with the term down payment. The Holy Spirit is our down payment. Now, the word in Greek, and this is the only time I'm going to use Greek, is the word Erebon. Okay? It is a very interesting word, and it's used only by Paul, and he uses it three times. I'm going to read you these three verses. Okay? In 2 Corinthians one twenty-two, he says that God has given us the Erebon of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. In 2 Corinthians 5.5, 5, again, he talks about the Erebon of the Holy Spirit. So it's strange that he uses this word down payment. In Ephesians 1.14, he speaks about the Holy Spirit as the airborne of our inheritance. Paul uses it exclusively, listen to this, to refer to the Holy Spirit. It only refers to the Holy Spirit exclusively. The word shows up often in, in, in the Greek as a technical term, listen to this, for a first installment of a payment that is due. As such, it both establishes the contractual obligation and it guarantees its fulfillment. When Jesus says, wait for the gift of the Father and the Holy Spirit comes and he is the foretaste, the first installment of the promise that is yet to come, what it speaks about is that when we are possessed by the Holy Spirit, this down payment, is the proof of the age that is to come. The indwelling of the Spirit is the proof that I'm not made for this age. This yearning for eternity, this hunger for eternity, is the Spirit pointing. There is an age that is yet to come. It's important we understand this because what it it gives us I's knowing that God, you have given me a taste of heaven. Show me what that means. Now there are two sides to this. You can probably get more than two, but there are two I want to emphasize tonight. The first point I want to emphasize around this donkey, is the first portion of this installment of eternity is number one, that eternity we are led in person by Jesus. So the first sign of the Spirit's indwelling pointing to the age to come is my heart submitting to the leadership of God. It's a willingness to yield. It might be a struggle to yield. It might be a challenge to yield. But the Spirit in me goes like, hey, the proof of the age to come is I'm pushing you to yield to the King I'm yielding to. There is a yieldedness that gets created in us. That's why if you think about yourself, before you were born again, a lot of us never felt guilty when we sinned. I didn't even care. The moment you get born again, it's like, who here has been irritated by that after you got saved? I can honestly raise my hands. I was so frustrated. I was like, I hate like, being like, bothered by this. I just want to be mean right now. Why can't I be mean? right like I'm gonna be mean and I'm gonna have to turn around and go say I'm sorry (laughs) right and it's like the spirit in me is like pushing me it's like I will not let you go when you say Jesus you are Lord I took it seriously and I will show you he is Lord so that's the one side of it is the leadership of Jesus Jesus leader in the age to come the other side of it is is that he will be present in the age to come you won't be again a force there's a a personal presence to God. And we see a lot more of this language. You talk about like the temple narrative, this stuff is like the spirit's role is to show us the personal presence of God is among us. So those two things, the leadership of Jesus and the sign of his presence among us is pointing us to going like, hey, there is an age where this is going to be normal. Why do you think your heart is never satisfied? Because every single time the Holy Ghost is like, you think this is it? You've seen nothing yet. You've not seen the glory that I'm pointing towards. There is a yet yieldedness to come. It's important we understand the function that he has in helping us not get obsessed with temporal things. Second point. This metaphor, number one, was the down payment. The second one, and I love this next one. I want to read you 1 Corinthians fifteen, twenty to 23. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruit of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also came through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ the first fruit, listen now, then when he comes, also those who belong to him. What is it saying? It talks about first fruit. It talks about Romans 8.23, not only so, but we also ourselves who have the first fruit of the Spirit grown inwardly, as we wait eagerly for our adoptions to sonship, to redemption of our bodies. Again, the first fruit points towards an age to come. It says that the spirit in you groans for the full picture of sonship. It's like there's a groan in you to go like, I am not yet what I am supposed to be. It's like an internal intercession that the spirit makes to go like, We have tasted of some of it, but there is a fullness yet to come. I love this when it says that Jesus is the first fruit of the new creation, right? The first fruit is kind of like, hey, let's taste how good it is, right? So now Jesus being the first fruit, what happened when he came back from the dead? He still had a physical body because people put his hands in his wounds, but he can also walk through walls, okay? So like there's something really interesting about this Jesus man. And he was the ultimate example of what happens when man and spirit collide and there's perfect unity because he was the God man, right? So him being the first fruit of this new creation showed us going like, hey, I am the firstborn. Have you ever wondered why our Sabbath is on a Sunday and not on a Saturday? It's because Sunday was the first day of the week. And when Jesus rose on the Sunday, they were saying it was the first start As the firstborn of the new creation, we're celebrating the rest on the first day of the week because we're celebrating a new era has dawned upon us. When the Jews rested on the Saturday to say that, hey, we rest from the works of the law, we rest on the Monday because we're celebrating that the new age has come upon us. I don't know if you're understanding what I'm saying. When everybody went to work, they worshipped. Because they're saying, hey, your week has started. The new age we will remember starts today. As the firstborn, Jesus raised this day. We celebrate this day. We're not just resting this day. We're celebrating this day, the victory of the cross. To say that the same way that Jesus was raised from the dead, we'll be raised from the dead. In the same way, all of creation is waiting for the sons of God to be manifested. They're groaning with the same groan that the Spirit has in me as, uh, as this first fruit I'm receiving. So the seal, not the seal, sorry, the down payment is proof of how good it is. The first fruit points in me what it has done of what will yet happen in me. It's so important we get this because this language helps us understand that we don't have to be disillusioned when everything is not in perfection in this age. That the warfare that we have in this kingdom is submitting to his leadership in the midst of injustice, in the midst of pain, in the midst of things going wrong. He's saying, hey, the spirit in you is still groaning, it's interceding, what? For the whole consummation of the kingdom. So that, 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 that thing in you that goes like, this is not right, that is not anger, Right? It's not being angry that it's not right. It is like you feel a spirit-driven intercession. God, this needs to change. That is a part of the role of the Holy Spirit to cry out, change things, Lord. It points to an age that is to come. The last point I want to just discuss on this specific one, and then I'm going to help us wrap it up is the third metaphor when it talks about the age it is to come. Also comes three times and it talks about the holy spirit being a seal. Ephesians 1:13 says Ephesians 1 verse 13 says and you were also included in Christ when you heard the message of truth the gospel of your salvation when you believed you were marked in him with a seal the promised holy spirit. God said, you're mine. How do I know, Lord? I give you myself. The proof of the authenticity is himself. Ephesians 4.30 And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for what? The day of redemption. Pointing towards the future. He right? says, you were given the Spirit of God because he has been given to you as a marker that you are the real deal. That's why I'm telling, that's why when somebody says, How do I know I'm saved? I said, If you don't know if you're saved, you're not saved. Because the spirit in you, Romans 8, cries out, Abba. There's something in you that cries out, Father, right? There's the groan that goes beyond words, like, and it's not like a voice crying out, it's a longing crying out. Because the human heart is an idol factory and it, all its ways is in opposition to God. True love that is not unto myself only can come when the spirit of that God takes possession of me and it moves me. It marks me, that I'm the real deal. The last point in this is second Corinthians 1: 21 and 22, it says, "But now it is God who, marked, who makes us both, uh, makes us and you stand firm in Christ. Listen to this. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put His spirit. In our hearts, as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. All three of those things in one sentence. The Holy Spirit is proof that we are His possession. And He gives us, pointing to us, the goodness of the age that is to come. I'm I'm asking you tonight, is your fellowship with God so good that it proves heaven to you? Is your inner world so convinced that when you fellowship with Him, your first thought is, heaven must be real. I can't wait. Wow. If He does this in me, good Lord, what's going to happen when He does it with all the world? If I have to be honest with you guys, in my own personal life, the longer I follow the Lord this month, next next week, Saturday will be ten years. Right. The longer that I follow the Lord, the more convinced I am about his leadership. Because I'm like, man, like my heart has like changed. And like in the beginning it's like I don't do drugs anymore. And like now it becomes like the tiniest little things. I was like, you're just not leaving me. You're like poking this thing. I was like, Lord, like it's not a big deal. Okay, it is. You're say it is, it is. I'm yielding. Right, and, 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 it's, and it's as if the longer we walk with him, the vision of the good life becomes more and more of a king's leadership in my life. But it's this weird tension between I'm convinced you're good and why am I not seeing it all in this life. If you do not understand the Spirit's role in comforting you, that we are not yet in the fullness of the kingdom, you'll stop contending for the supernatural because you'll be disillusioned with disappointment. If you don't understand this already, not yet, and you do not have full healing in your body, I've had like hip surgery Foot surgery, knee surgery, nose surgery, four shoulder surgeries, like hurt so many things in my body. If I do not understand that the kingdom has come, but it's yet to be consummated in its fullness, I will be offended by God when people get healed that I pray for and I don't. My question will become, God, that I do something wrong? instead of understanding that I live between the ages and my life is in a war and the enemy is raging to see if I will turn against God, if I will make theological excuses against his goodness or would I yield to go like, Father, I will never accuse you. You are the Lord and my spirit in me is groaning for the day that the fullness of the kingdom will come where there is no pain There's no tears, but I joyfully, arrogantly oppose the enemy that you cannot make me accuse him. You cannot make me turn against him. You cannot make me say stuff like, well, maybe God doesn't want to heal. No, he always wants to heal. I'm just in between the ages, and there is a war, and I don't understand fully how this works, but I will not turn against him. You cannot make me say stuff like, well, maybe God chose some people to go to hell. I I can't. The word says too many times he wishes that all will be saved. But this war I'm seeing raging in my friend is because we're between two ages. But I can't stand in the gap in intercession because the spirit in me is groaning. It says it makes intercession when we don't know what to pray. Because why? It sees it. It can see what's happening. And this evening, what I'm talking about and what I'm bringing is, 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 it's kind of like, a it's not a downer, right? But it's not like a, a hype sermon. It's more to do with like, we need to understand the great arc of time. And understand that, praise the Lord, we are not in the era of the law. Hallelujah. Right, freak, I love me some bacon. Goodness, right? I love me some bacon. And, and another reason I'm really happy I'm not in the era of the law is that the law was powerless to change anything. And I needed a lot of changing. Praise God, he gave us his spirit. We're not in the era of the law. We're now in the age of the spirit. And I'm so thankful that my heart gets to yield to this Lord and that he brings life as I yield to his leadership. And I can build a little kingdom by yielding and it can, hopefully my life, wherever I go, can look a little bit like let it be on earth as it is in heaven. Right? That, that's the dream, right? Lord, may you look at Gabe's life and go like, man, Gabe, you took that prayer seriously. You actually did it? You didn't just pray it? Wow. You so submitted to my leadership that actually things changed where you went. Wow. But now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to push because the spirit in me is seeing and I'm going to run into why did that person they got, not get out of the wheelchair? I'm going to go, God, I don't, I don't get it. I don't get it. Like you say on earth as it is in heaven, there's no lame people in heaven. There's no corruption in heaven. I want to get against corruption. There's no homelessness in heaven. There's no prostitutes in heaven. God, why is there a war raging? I don't get it, right? But if we think that this age we're in is the final say, when we hit impossibility, right, we don't understand that there's an age yet to come. There's an era that is yet to come. And because we yield to the Spirit and we understand His role, He whispers in our hearts, do not lose hope. Keep pushing. Keep yielding. Keep praying, keep seeking, keep fasting, keep knocking. Why? Because every cup will be rewarded. Every kind word will be rewarded. Every time I choose not to be offended, God goes like, I see that, thank you. And I believe, guys, tonight, that some of us here might have been offended by God. I really feel tonight's message is to come against the fence. It might be when it comes to healing. It might be become, God, why didn't you come through yet? And I want to say that like, wake up. We're in a war. It's not Disneyland. This is the front lines. Right? And the enemy has taken out so much of the church because he's taken our eyes off eternity. And we live for a temporal world instead of aiming towards the eternal. What does Paul say? I beat my body into submission. What? Aiming. So that after I've preached others, I myself not be, be disqualified. He says, I do not beat, beat aimlessly. Right? He aims at something. Then he talks about, in 1 Corinthians 3 from verse 10, he speaks about how to build like a skilled master builder, And he talks about how everything we do will be tested. And then he says, why are we tested? Why, what, why, why is some of this happening? He says, because God wants to reward you. A part of this eternal thing, a part of what the Spirit is doing is saying, hey Gabe, like, there's, there's something of warfare around this area of your life. And I'm like, God, I'm tired, it's hard. And the Spirit in me goes like, but Gabe, if you choose love, there is eternal thanksgiving from the Father back to you. It's not temporal. And so many times we, we lose our vision of the eternal. And we're stuck and we go like, well, I don't like to do X, Y, Z. And that's why so many times in our community we say, but did God ask you to do it? Yes, but I still don't like it. And I, then I don't have a next answer. It's like, okay. Sorry, I know you thought you were going to be XYZ. I thought I was going to be a springbok as well. <laughs> Praise God I'm not. I like my life way more. I thought it was going to be a lot of stuff. And then God said, Gabe, would you give all of that up? You know what? It wasn't easy in the beginning. It was super hard, but you know what happens? Something in me, it's like a little tingle. Of excitement and it's like the spirit is saying, But Gabe, forever this will matter. Forever this will matter. Turn the other cheek, don't defend yourself. I want to defend myself. Don't God I want to defend. Don't okay. Lord it hurt. Thanks, Gabe. You chose to let it be on earth as it is in heaven, really. But God, I, it still sucks. I don't, and, he, and he's like, I know, I'm sorry, I'll comfort you. There is an age to come where this will matter. Where, where, where you turning the cheek matters. Where you laying down your life matters. And whatever was whispered in this age will be declared in the one that is to come. And And my heart in talking about this tonight, is to give some of us hope that everything we gave up, everything we turned a cheek for, everything we said, Father, yes. He says, Hey, I have a very, very, very good bookkeeping system. And I love to repay how love was shown to me. Those eternal rewards is not us producing good things. It's our hearts responding to love. It's when love says, hey, do this, and I go like, I love to do it, Jesus heart, He goes like, thank you for loving me. But that cannot happen effectively if the end goal of our lives is this life. If the only thing that you look at is like, how successful am I at this life? If your business does not grow, when God told you to do something, oh, God is not good. Why did he change his mind? Well, he didn't. He might have asked you to do that, your business won't grow. Because he wants to grow you forever. God might have asked you to not date this person that you really liked. And you're going like, so when will God give me a husband? And he might never give you one. He might never give you a wife. It might never happen. And if we don't have a spirit in us that points towards the age to come, you're pretty much hopeless because you're stuck alone. But here's the thing. The Holy Spirit loves. He goes like, hey, look at me. I am the proof of how good that will be. Hey, look at me. I am the first fruit of how good that would be. Hey, hey, look at me. I am the seal on your heart that the Father has brought you. You have nothing to be worried about. This evening, I just wanna I wanna give us a few moments. Um, Cooper, can you get on the piano maybe? And I'm gonna have Cooper just play for two or three minutes. And I, I want us honestly to search a heart and ask God, God, is there any place we're offended at you? Is there is there any place where there's disillusionment because I expected things to happen like this. Imagine how the apostles felt. Jesus left and, he says, and the angels say, the same way that he left, he will come back. Why are you looking at him? Go wait, do what he tells you. Do you know how many times I would have went to the same spot when I just had a long day and just looked into heaven? Go like, Lord, it's been 40 years. You sure this is the right spot? They get the wrong coordinates. Did you mean the temple? I don't know. I am the temple now. But imagine their level, sometimes of uncertainty. But here's the thing: they rested in the Spirit's ability to say, "Hey, I will show you what is to come. I am pointing towards that." One of my favorite theologians, Gordon Fee, says: some, "One of his students once asked him." after 60-some years of ministry, teaching at a university, if you can go back to pastoral ministry and teach people one thing, what would it be? And he said, eschatology. I will make them understand that they do not live for this age. They live for one that is to come. But how much you believe, what you believe about the end dictates how you live in the middle. What you believe about the end dictates how you live in the middle. And God didn't leave us alone. He sent us a helper, a teacher, a comforter, a guide to go like in the midst of our current mess. I promise you there is a time coming where the streets will be made of gold. There's a time coming where there will be no sun because the glory of the sun will be the light on all the earth. There's a time coming where there will be no tears. There will be no loneliness. There will be no mourning. There is a time that is yet to come. Just hold on. And if you would look at the war in Ukraine, poverty, load shedding, everything we can imagine, listen to me. It's important. It is not muster up your energy and don't be discouraged. It is yield to the gift of the Spirit. And get vision of what is to come. Get vision of what is to come. With all of your getting, get vision. Ask Him, show me Father. Show me eternity. Let us be like Jonathan Edwards and stamp eternity in our eyeballs. Let nothing that we touch have temporal motive. Let we have eternal motive. Every day of our lives and teach us by your Spirit. What does that mean? This person's role is to help you to live the life of the future in the present. In this world, kindness is not normal. Love is not normal. Self control is not normal. Goodness is not normal when this spirit lives in you that life that people say you can only live as good in heaven he says let me manifest it in you now the church is meant to be a people of the future living now it's little embassies of heaven little embassies of the age to come and when people look at us and go like how do they love each other that way I just want to be saved their thought should be, I thought you can only get along this well in heaven. That's why it talks about don't grieve the Holy Spirit in Ephesians. That's around your tongue and how we talk about each other because he's the seal of the age to come. He's like, hey, in the age to come, people don't slander each other. They love each other. Live according to the blueprint of what is to come. So Father, I ask this evening you would show us any person here who has any offense or bitterness or lost hope if it's for healing if it's for lost family members if it's for personal struggles depression any psychological anxiety and they keep on asking God why aren't you healing me Father I ask that you would break in by your spirit break in and comfort Break in in comfort and show them a vision greater than the current struggles. Greater than the current loneliness. Greater than the current pain. The current limp. That there is a time yet to come. God, we ask, will we be like David who will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living?